Welcome to the Guerrilla Pastors Podcast. I'm your host, Josiah. Today, we begin the work of wrapping up season one of this podcast. Over this past year, we have done our best to introduce you, our listeners, to some of the ideas we have about what ministry can look like if we remain faithful to our calling, despite how diverse and unique that may look. We've brought you examples of this in real time with three guerrilla pastors doing ministry founded on this subversive presence, but we have also sat down with traditional Sunday morning pastors to see if our ideas are a little too out there or if there's merit to them. So as these stories and ideas continue to marinate in our minds, our desire for this season finale is to bring you along with us on our journey of discernment. Now, for the sake of clarity, let us first say that we don't pretend to have all of the answers, but we do know that that something needs to change. And instead of staying in a permanent state of deconstruction, simply leaving it all behind, we have chosen to dream and work and collaborate on what a reconstructed ministry model might look like. So join us as we endeavor to share with you what it has felt like to come alive by leaning into our convictions for what pastoral ministry can look like when we don't hang our hats on this one-size-fits-all ministry model and instead seek to pursue God's calling no matter where it takes us. It's all here on the Gorilla Pastors Podcast. was that Christians could not have conversation with each other if they disagreed with one another. It's all about entering in to the textured presence of lived lives. And so the, the sanitation of it just broke for me. Like, church can't be sanitized. I always feel like I'm not what people think of when they think of a pastor. I went to school for youth ministry and have now figured out how to do like construction work. It's good, good stuff. The church is struggling and declining in ways that we've never experienced in the United States and Canada right now. We have to like allow ourselves to embrace new ways of being in a place. Insurgent revolutions, i.e. guerrilla warfare, is 20% bullets and 80% blessing the people. How do we be eternally faithful? Like literally, like how do we be faithful in a way today that in 20 years, people aren't going, he was evil. Why are we so afraid? We believe that God is at work in all places, in all people, at all times. That is amazing and that should give us hope. We are the Gorilla Pastors. Join us as we explore a world of ministry founded on subversive presence. Here's a little bit of what you can expect in this three-part season finale. In each episode, we're going to take a closer look at one of our Gorilla Pastor tenants, cultivating a broad kingdom imagination 
being known by a benevolent orthodoxy and celebrating a diverse praxis. We will each take turns in the metaphorical hot seat, being asked questions by our co-hosts about one of these three frameworks for ministry. You'll hear us share the process of discernment and how we arrived to the tenant. You'll hear us share what we think this tenant looks like, and we'll do our best to actually point to real life examples of pastors and lay people who are embodying it in a way we want to celebrate. For this episode, we will start with a roundtable conversation about cultivating a broad kingdom imagination with Ryan Fasani. Ryan, broad kingdom, uh, broad kingdom imagination. Um, there, there. Just like our others, there's several words in it. Um, some that can be troubling uh, with kingdom, uh, but also broad. So, start to unpack. Uh, just start to open the the broad uh, idea of broad kingdom imagination. Right. Uh, yeah, I'll do, I'll I'll jump in and do some semantical unpacking. Um I'll just start with broad and I'll do all three as quickly as I can. Um the reason we settled on on this term of broad is because I think it's uh it's not limiting in the enterprise that we're up to which is trying to discover the breadth and the depth of the redemptive work of God. Um we we could have said expansive or huge or astronomical or something. I mean, there's a whole number, a host of kind of bigger terms that help us understand kind of the large work of God. Broad, I think, helps us identify that also the work of God is deep, right? Um, it's an abyss in the sea of our own souls. Right. And so for a lot of us and our colleagues, or for us and a lot of our colleagues, um, to discover that the redemptive work of God is extremely broad can easily become um, finding the, the, the biggest social problem and going after it, right? And advocating for justice in within the within our own sort of sphere of influence about that issue and that's fine and we advocate for that and we support that and we affirm that but there's a sense of broad too that um opens up our chest if you will and wants to find um kind of the breadth of of hardship and pain and trauma within individuals um and that also therein is also the work of god's kingdom redemptive and redemptive work kingdom work and redemptive healing. So, uh, you know, it's, it's a, of course, a term that's got limitations, but I like how it's, uh, it, it both incorporates the width, the breadth, if you will, and the depth of the work that God's up to. Um, kingdom can be a hairy term um, because it has some colonial undertones, right? Like king is a very, kingdom is a very um, political term. A king is a patriarch that oversees a principality. Like we get the hangups of that. Um, I've had I've had friends that have played with um, alternative terms like kingdom, you know, minus the the G to, to try to you know kind of expose the the importance of the familial aspect, the the um, 
to borrow a term from another tenant, sort of the, the, the benevolent kind of kinship of community, that, um, the beloved community that is necessary um, for the reign and, and redemptive work of God to sort of be manifest incarnationally. Um, we preserve the word kingdom just because it's universally accepted as not empire. <laughs> like there is another sort of work uh, imperial work at play and it's upside down, right? So to preserve the work, to preserve the word kingdom is to redefine it and hopefully kind of exercise it of its unnecessary and unhealthy, violent kind of undertones. So kingdom for us, um, as it relates to the broad work, broad redemptive work of God is simply naming that the institutions and the bureaucracies that currently call the shots are not the ones that ultimately call the shots. The current power structures, and if you will, for you know, people and um, that leverage violence and uh, centralized power is not at all resembling of the kingdom work of God, as manifest, of course, in sort of the, the self-giving love of Jesus and you know, felt in the, the energizing, um, empowering work of the spirit. The, the imagination part is the part that I probably appreciate of the three only because one time I heard um, from a Jewish friend that there's this midrashic um, kind of discussion of the beginning of time. And it's an old rabbi that said, in the beginning, um, in, in the beginning was God, and but before but before creation something else existed and the respondent said yes it was god god's self they said no 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 before even god there was imagination right and the and the point of that is of course it's midrashic right so it's not like putting a final stamp of like orthodox approval on something as much as kind of massaging out and wrangling with kind of limitations of our imagine of our thought right and when we think of a starting point for all of creation, we think of sort of this divine voice uttering creation forth. But before creation, I think it was George Bernard Shaw or one of those really quotable authors slash philosophers. Maybe it was Mark Twain, you know, that everybody, you know, accredits for brilliance. Um, actually, I think it was Shaw, I'm pretty sure, said before uh, imagination precedes creation, right? Before an artist paints a mural or shapes, you know, a, a sculpture out of chisels, a sculpture out of stone, or throws clay into a beautiful pot. There's something that exists in, you know, in advance of that. And it's a, it's an image. It's an imaginary possibility of what could become, right? And so for us, a broad kingdom imagination begins with what we can creatively dream about as the redemptive reach and work of God. And that's critical because I don't know about you guys, but I have so many times, I don't want to say always, right? but so many times have run into the limitations of the imagination of God's people, right? And the best we could muster was borrowing from last year's greatest idea to try to to try to sort of promulgate the good news in next year's possibilities, right? And so we would lean on the culture 
for creative artistic endeavors to, to say something meaningful about tomorrow. And by time tomorrow arrived, it was like the church was already way behind because things had sort of advanced. And that's just one way of, of, of saying like, we've always played catch up because we've never fully given into the imaginative possibilities of the kingdom work that God is up to. Another thing that, you know, is kind of behind, kind of uh, for, is fermenting behind, I think, this tenant is, um, and I'm going to sound nerdy here, but I'm, I'm probably not even smart enough to refer to him, but I will for lack of better time. It's the Wittgensteinian concept that our imaginations are only limited by the extent of our language, right? Um, wor words are these tools that help us build uh Something else just came to mind, what Anne Lamott calls sandcastles within which we can playfully imagine, right? Words are these tools that we go to the beach and just build these little structures that we can sort of play with, right? Like they're only temporary, but what they do is they, they give us permission to dream, right? And that's a part of this, right? Like what can God's people dream are possible? dream what can god's people like what is the extent of which we're willing our imaginations to run wild as god's reach into this world to do a holy and redemptive work to bring light where there's darkness healing where there's pain you know salve where there's grief and torment liberation where there's captivity and oppression and like once you name it, like say it like that, all of a sudden, I mean, I don't know about you, but I feel this rush of possibility. Like, oh, all of that is what God is up to? Yeah, and we get to participate. Whereas if, you know, we sort of throw around the word sort of kingdom ministry or something, like it's always confined by like our limitations of defining it, right? Like, and it must, and, you know, sort of parenthetically, which none of us mentioned, but all of us are making the shared assumption that it must be defined by these three things and it can't include cigarettes or something like that, or whatever, right? Like you can insert any kind of like restrictive moray that you want there. And it's like naming broad kingdom imagination requires that we just remove the, limita the, the, the limiting walls of what's possible and how far God will go, you know, to sort of pursue healing. You know, and um, for me, you know, as, as one that finds himself writing a lot, um, the power of the words that that become the tools for us to dream is so critical here, right? And so with this as a tenant of, of, of guerrilla pastors, I just want to say, and this is maybe uniquely me, and I'll name that up, up front. We, we are working to find words that give us permission and space to do what last year, last month, or last decade or last century was unimaginable because we restricted the possibilities of God's redemptive work. That's, that's what we're saying, right? We're, we're and those are just tools, tools to let us dream because that precedes creating and participating in it. So. I have a question, Ryan. Uh, as I hear you talk, I, I, uh, I imagine all three of us could say something similar that we were trained for maybe a kingdom that we would now say had some limitations that, that the kingdom building, uh, training we received and mentoring and, and education and formation was for something that 
we might now call a, a Sunday morning expression, uh, you know, Sunday morning focused, one size fits all pastoral model of kingdom building. So I'm curious, as as I know you had gone to school, you've been trained in a particular way. When did things change? When did you have a shift, whether it was, I don't know if it was a spiritual formational thing. I don't know if it was one day you realized, oh, hey, I don't want to do it like this anymore. Um, but as as you have shared your understanding of broad kingdom imagination, I would assume that you haven't always thought of it like that, that these are not things that you would have said, you know, pre going to seminary, pre going to get uh, a degree in ministry. So at what point in life, whether just, you know, as Ryan or Ryan, the pastor, did a shift occur? And what did that shift in understanding or conviction or, or whatever take place? Yeah, that question compels me um, to tell you three ways that I think kingdom is limited. And then I'll identify where in those three things stopped working. And I had and I was gifted, I was graced with the new possibilities of its meaning. The first limitation of kingdom um, that I inherited and and used, admittedly used, was kingdom was this sort of code word for a post-humanist existence, eternal existence in the presence of God. It was heaven, right? It was this, it was a cooler way of saying heaven. The second limitation was that kingdom was a reinvention of the term outreach. <laughs> like, like it was the missiological upshot of the work of the church. So to sort of reel that back and, and not use jargon, it was the ministry efforts of the local church body. So the kingdom was something that the church helped create or even more limiting, helped send people to. And the third way, which in truthfully is probably the most probably the most destructive, is kingdom was limited by our cultural imaginations. So kingdom looked like just a better version of suburban North America. And, and again, these are this is confessional, right? These are limitations that I inherited that I had to reckon with. So, right. So, kingdom was basically a code word for heaven. Kingdom was the work of the church, and kingdom was basically like my neighborhood growing up, but wealthier, <laughs> bigger mansions, and not pavement, but gold. You know what I mean? Like, um, and here's where I was forced to reckon with that when none of those three versions of kingdom could contain the level of my pain. And that's when I realized that the way we were defining and using that term in the life of the church body um, was not a concept that helped us get closer to the redemptive, all-encompassing, redemptive work of God to reconcile creation to God's self, but instead was a code word for how do we get people beyond their everyday lived experiences and to an afterlife promise. And here I was as one that was deemed a leader, 
that was literally suffering in darkness and none of that touched it. And a way I've said it, I think I said it like 20 podcasts ago, but when the, when it, the whole thing broke for me, when, when the, the practice of kingdom in those three, in those three limitations, um, couldn't, couldn't address, you know, my suffering. And so I had to ask myself, what is it about this kingdom in its current iteration inhibits me from connecting to the God that I think ought to be about this darkness? And then I realized that it, it was entirely a, a limitation of understanding and imagination, right? And then, and then, and then to be to put a fine point on it, when I realized that God's kingdom enterprise was to penetrate the work, you know, the, the darkness of my soul and offer soulless comfort, solidarity, and ultimately re renewal, I realized, oh, if it can go that deep, then it can certainly go that broad. Right. And, and that was, that was when, you know, that was when the kind of limit, the, the limitations started to lift for me, you know, um, and that was, I mean, just to sort of put a chron chronology on it, that was probably know, almost 20 years ago. In other words, overnight, <laughs> you don't arrive, you don't arrive at an alternative broad kingdom imagination overnight, right? Like I'm still working at how to like give fresh breath to, you know, the breadth of God's work. Ryan, man, that's beautiful. And there's so much in that. Um, I want to, I want to hang on a couple of things. Um, sure. And if you will, I'm going to, I'm going to be uh, egocentric and I'm going to just point to another journey in there. So yours was where the pain, the imagination of a small kingdom could not deal with the pain of, right, of your darkness, right? Mm -hmm. uh, mine was a little bit the opposite in that I was given the possibility by my first leaders when I stepped into ministry to not get hung up on little things and dream around, if you will, the, the beginning of a generous orthodoxy or benevolent orthodoxy, excuse me. Um, yeah, and so that, it, and, and then it just continued, it gave me license to, to dream. So sometimes we end up because someone, someone who went before us gives us, starts to Im give us an imagination. And some of it is we hit it right with it, we hit a place where there is no imagination and pain and, and darkness um i'm gonna so i want to i want to throw you under the bus a little bit <laughs> because um because the imagination piece and in, in your description of it was it just in my mind in the little bit of the conversation like all of a sudden, like the idea of that imagination precedes uh, creation just starts to make me go, ah, you know what I mean? And, and just get, get big on that. So my question to you is, if a kingdom imagination is a reflection of who we believe God to be, throw out some ideas of what kingdom could look like through the perfect eyes of God. <laughs> hmm. I'll, I'll 
take a risk and just name the first two things that came to mind. I've been in the field of agriculture for the better part of 15 years. And that for me has looked like both urban, urban farming, rural, urban gardening, uh, and orcharding and rural farming. Um, but in a small scale, human scale um, way. And so if you've ever met a young family, like at the farmer's market, like what they're deriving their livelihood from is probably a very diversified farm um, of just a few acres and managed mostly with manual labor. And that's been the scale that I've done it at. So it's, so it's been an intimate relationship with land. And man, without a broad kingdom imagination, I could have never imaginatively conceived of God's redemptive work as me being reconciled to the microbial life in the soil of which I was stewarding. And that sounds like hocus pocus and really weird if you're, if you're encountering it for the first time. Like I said, I'm taking a risk here. But for me, that's, that's totally within the realm of both uh, the kingdom project of God but also within the purview of the type of ministry we saw in the person of Jesus historically, right? Like one that was very um, kind of connected to and utilizing of the, the, the concrete resources around him. I mean, this is, a, this is the son of God, if you will, using spit and soil to heal eyeballs and you know, and, and drawing in sand and befriending and, you know, women that were covered in a gar in a garment of you know prostitutional sin. I mean, this is not this is not a God that sort of stand stands by and watches and and tells us that we ought to advocate for justice. Like the elements are always engaged of both human frailty, but also also of creation. So for me, the first one that comes to mind is listen, like until we start broadening our imagination of what the kingdom work of God looks like, we will never understand the full meaning of the mandate to Adam and Eve to carefully and lovingly steward the land of Eden, right? And at the very minimum, like redemption looks like uh, re-engaging deeply that original vocation. So that's the first one. The second one is about sexuality. And again, I'm taking a risk here. The redemptive work of God in a broad kingdom imagination, and again, this is me submitting a, a, a my belief about something to a tenant that we are all espousing, um, is not at first a requirement for me to come down on an issue extracted of all human beings and lived experience. It is first a humble submission to discerning a deeper and more expansive and more holistic understanding of the created nature of human beings as sexual lived organisms, right? Like, like it, the, we, are, we are sexual beings, in, which is almost infinitely more of a complex statement than what's my orientation and who am I erotically attracted to? And so redemption at minimum within the tenant of a broad kingdom imagination is exploring imaginatively what it might mean for God to lead us towards healing and understanding and discerning how and how, how complex 
it is that we might be sensual human beings that can worship with all aspects of our being, one of which is attraction. One, right? And so, you see, once you start letting the imaginative possibilities of how God works among us and through us and through all of creation, all of a sudden these cheap little trite categories that are become political footballs and the argument of ostracizing one individual and blackballing other groups becomes not even interesting. They become such a limiting enterprise where the work that God is up to, the kingdom enterprise that God is up to is so much more expansive and complex. I mean, it's as microscopic and infinitesimally small as how we relate to microbes and as, as, as complex and critically important as a hot topic, like how one, how a created child of God is complexly sexual and relates sensually and physically to their surroundings on a daily basis. Like all of a sudden, both ends from the small to the large to the infinitely complex just like blows out, right? And and I don't know if, if you feel it the way I feel it, but as soon as you allow that to happen, like cognitively, like as soon as your imagination takes a deep breath, right? And your cognitive lungs fill with fresh, sort of redemptive air, all of a sudden, oh, we can finally get to the work that God is up to, as opposed to getting cloistered down in these little boxing ma- boxing rings and beating the heck out of each other because I'm right about X issue or, you know, some other definition or something like that, right? So you, you kind of answer it indirectly, Ryan, but I have a, I have a, a wrap up or final thought for me. I don't know if Brian has any more for you, but uh, you didn't stop uh with your suffering in what some might call deconstruction and then just bounce right which is maybe what can happen with with this uh tension of wanting the kingdom to have a broader imagination and then when it doesn't you just disengaged or you try to burn it all down why if you can articulate a little more specifically why were you able what happened how did you continue through what some might call a deconstruction into reconstructing uh, a broad human imagination instead of just saying, this is dumb, I'm leaving. Because, because I found the divine in the darkness. And when I did that, when I w- it was given permission, and this was, and I was given permission by teachers, educators, mentors, and loved ones um, that had in practice a broad kingdom imagination. And to be fair, a benevolence a benevolent orthodoxy, um, had a posture of benevolence and humility, helped me and resourced me to find the divine presence in the darkness, which liberated me from God having to be um, this sort of ideal kind of this angry Gandalf that might permit me to be freed from my sort of suffering. And instead, when God was present in the darkness, then I knew and this is sort of part one of a two-part answer. I knew that God would be, could be, and would willfully be present in all human suffering. And when I realized that, Josiah, I realized I realized my, vo- my what my vocation was, and it was to point at that truth as long as I was <laughs> a, a breathing, cognizant adult. And that and that's been my work. My work ever since then has been an attempt to to articulate 
a God that's willfully present in darkness as a redemptive energy or a redemptive sort of participant as a redemptive presence. Um, and so, you know, so my vocation, you know, my vocation became, you know, a, a way to try to sort of share my own lived experience in that regard. And cultivating it is another, you know, positive outcome, hopefully of what we're doing, right. Especially next season. Yeah. Uh, you know, I suppose like the subtext of all of this um, conversation that we've been having for a couple of years now is um, basically trying to create an outlet to give imaginative permission to other people, right? Like, yeah, it's okay. It's okay. Here's examples. And yeah. <laughs> here's, here's another example here. here. This journey we have been on together for the past few years is one that has continued in this podcast. The unrest we each felt as individuals with how ministry was done is in part what drew us to one another. As we spent more and more time with one another, our resulting conversations helped produce a broader kingdom imagination, one which we would have had no hope in finding had we simply journeyed on this ministry path alone. With that in mind, join us for part two of this finale, where we sit down with Brian Wardlaw and discuss all things benevolent orthodoxy. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. I've been your host, Josiah, and this has been the Gorilla Pastors Podcast. <laughs>